If you asked a class of third graders what 4 plus 4 equals, and you got seven different answers, would you conclude that every kid was right because they were sincere that they had the right answer? Of course not. 4 plus 4 cannot equal 8 and at the same time equal 7 or 13. Two contradictory truth claims cannot both be correct. Yet when it comes to the subject of faith, I hear intelligent people all the time say that all religions basically lead to the same God, even though they're hopelessly contradictory. They say they're just various uh, attempts by humankind to find meaning in life and make connection with God. The reason so many people embrace this all roads lead to Rome thinking is because we live in a pluralistic culture where people can believe totally different things and all be considered right. Uh, You hear this thinking that all beliefs lead to the same good on TV newscasts, TV shows, movies. Oh, honey, whatever you decide will be right. But is it true? You can talk about God anywhere in the world. You can talk about God on Oprah. You can talk about spirituality. You can talk about karma. You can talk about positive feelings coming your way. But you can't talk about Jesus. Why? Because Jesus steps into our world of religious pluralism and says He's the only way for humankind to enter into a relationship with God. Now, many of us feel his claims are intolerant. That's why some people think you shouldn't talk about Jesus in the public square. Nobody debates the existence of Jesus. Uh, Even Jesus' detractors admit that he lived. People don't dislike his teaching. What's not to like? Do unto others as you would have them do to you. What people debate is his exclusive claim to be God and the only way to God. So who is Jesus? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do you have good reasons why you believe that way? So you can answer the person who says, why do you believe Jesus is God's Son? In Luke 9, Luke is ready to present us the question he's been building toward. Once when Jesus was praying in private, he did that frequently, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, that John had been raised from the dead, come back to life. Others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? You've heard me teach. You've heard me heal the sick. You've seen me cast demons out of people. Who do you say I am? This is the question I said earlier this week, the most important question you'll ever be asked and need to answer. Luke asked the same question that, he asked of the, that Jesus asked of the disciples of you. 
Who do you believe Jesus is? Let's look at the three most common answers to this question. Some people believe Jesus is a great moral teacher. He's not the Son of God, but He is a fine communicator. Almost everyone agrees Jesus was a marvelous teacher. His persuasiveness, insight, and authority are unquestioned. Yes, Jesus was a great moral teacher, but neither He nor His disciples will allow us to get away with the idea that He was that and no more. Either Jesus was very much more or very much less. He made the most astonishing claims, claims that have never been paralleled by any sane person. He claimed He could forgive people's sins. He had the right to people's worship. He alone represented the way to God. He gave to give His life a ransom for many. He would be put to death on the cross and three days later be raised to life. And that on Judgment Day, all humanity would stand before Him. In short, He claimed to be God. In the face of His claim, we are left with two alternatives. If He is God, then He is Lord. If He's not God, His claims were false. You have to call Him a liar. Or, if He made those claims but didn't know He was wrong, then He was out of His mind. So here's what we're left with. If He's God, then He's Lord. If He's not God, then He's a liar or crazy. Suppose I made the claims that Jesus did. And you began to say, isn't Ron terrific? I mean, the way He cares for us. And forgives our sins. The way He prays for us to be healed. And we're healed. I mean the way He leads us through this time of COVID. And teaches us. There's one little problem though. He seems to think He's God. I mean nobody is just a little confused about their deity and sane. If we don't believe what Jesus taught about His origin and authority, why should we believe the rest of His teaching? Yet intelligent, well-meaning people say this about Jesus all the time. Yes, Jesus is a great moral teacher, but He is much more or much less. Other people suggest that Jesus is a prophet. He's not God. He's not the Son of God, but He's a prophet like Moses or Mohammed or Buddha. He wasn't the only Son of God and the only way to salvation, but one of many paths to God. Now, Bill Karishi, in his book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, tells about his journey from being a devout Muslim to a Christian. He tells us that while Muslims believe or while Christians believe that Jesus is God, Muslims believe Jesus is no more than a prophet. And to consider Him God incarnate is to speak blasphemy and land a person in hell eternally. He said there are two things that Muslims and Christians disagree on. Muslims disagree that Jesus died on the cross and that He claimed to be God. The Quran 
specifically denies both of these beliefs. Many atheists, Buddhists, Hindus, and others agree with Muslims that Jesus is not God. Uh, Many people believe that we embrace the religion of the culture we grew up in. I've told you this before. My father was a pilot for United Airlines. Since I could fly for free while I was in college, I took two international trips. One, a six-month trip to Israel, England, Italy, and Switzerland. And the other one, a two-month trip uh, to China, Japan, Thailand, Iran, and Lebanon. So in all these places, I met lots of people. And um, I remember one day thinking, you know, I could have been a Buddhist if I'd grown up in Thailand. Um, At that point, I had to take a hard look at my Christian faith. If I was a Christian only because I was born in the United States and my parents were Christian, it didn't seem very meaningful to me. A friend of mine in Hong Kong said to me, Ron, I'm a Chinese Buddhist and you're an American Christian. He didn't believe me when I said, I know Asians who were born Buddhists who have become Christians. And I know Muslims who were uh, born in the Middle East, born Muslims who have become Christians. He says, no way. I said, oh yeah. Many people object to the claim that Christ is the only means of salvation. This may be one of the reasons you're not a Christian. You can't accept a religion that claims it's the only true one. Exclusive truth claims don't go well in our age of religious pluralism where we're taught that all viewpoints are equally valid. This helps explain the contrast which occurred recently when the city of San Jose erected a statue of Quetzalcoatl, an Aztec god, while in San Francisco uh, a a, a 103-foot cross was deemed unconstitutional and torn down. You say, why build one and tear the other down? Well, the thinking was, now I don't agree with the decision, but at least understand the thinking, The one was okay in San Jose because the Aztec God represents just one religion among many, while the cross represents the exclusive claims of Jesus and therefore is a symbol of intolerance. Some people think it's preposterous to claim that Jesus is the only Son of God, the only way to God. Now, they'd be right if I made that claim on my own. But if God says Jesus is the only way to come to know Him, at minimum, we should at least take a look. So let's look at what God said. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Apostle Paul writes, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. Luke writes, Salvation is found in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. God alone has the right to say how we can or cannot approach Him. If He says Jesus Christ and His death on the cross is His final offer to humankind for eternal life, we better at least sit up and think about it. Yes, Jesus is a prophet, but He is much more. The third answer is that Jesus is the Son of God. After asking the disciples what public opinion was as to His identity, He personalizes the question, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And this is the question we've come to ask and answer today, the most important question you will ever consider. Jesus says to his disciples, never mind what others think. Who do you say I am? Philip looked down. Nathaniel cleared his throat. John bit his fingernail. Judas split a blade of grass. But Peter answered, God's Messiah. Messiah is, or the Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Uh, Peter speaks for the disciples. You are the one God told us about ahead of time, anointed to deliver His people. You're not Elijah. You're not Jeremiah. You're not John the Baptist. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You say, how can I be sure Jesus is the Son of God? Are there good reasons I can believe Jesus is God's Son? Yes, there are. Teenager, young single, young married, parent, empty nester. Let me give you five reasons you can believe Jesus is the Son of God. First, Jesus claims to be God. Now, some people say Jesus never thought of Himself as the Son of God. These concepts were developed later by the New Testament writers that wrote it into the story. Is it true that Jesus never saw Himself as God? Are there places in the gospel where He outright claims that He was God? Sure. Maybe you object, why should I care what is said in the Bible? I don't believe the Bible. Well, you can't just throw the Bible out. It's the best attested document in ancient history. So you have to read it like you would Aristotle, Plato, or Shakespeare. Make it disprove itself or win you over inch by inch. So where did Jesus claim to be God? Let me share some of the places He claimed to be God in the Bible. After His resurrection, <clears throat> Jesus accepted the worship of the disciples as God, when Thomas cried, my Lord and my God. In response to Martha saying, I know the Messiah is coming, he responded, I who speak to you am he. I am the Christ. I am the one sent by God. He said, before Abraham was born, I am. So he's claiming that he was before Abraham. That would take him back 1,800 years. 
But then he says, I am. He takes the title that's used one of the most frequently of titles for God in the Old Testament. He says, I am. That's my name. He said, I and my Father are one. He says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. You see me, you've seen the Father because we're one. He's God the Father, I'm God the Son. When he was being tried by the Sanhedrin, Jesus was asked by the high priest, Are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am. Just flat out, I am. And you shall see the Son of God, man, sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven and tearing his clothes. The high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? The trial's over. You've heard the blasphemy. When Jesus took the prophecy of Daniel 7, the Son of Man coming in the clouds, they knew that was a claim to be the Son of God. They said, we don't need any more witnesses for this trial. No one can read the Gospels honestly and come away with any other conclusion that Jesus claimed and accepted the designation the Son of God. Another reason. Other people claim Jesus is God. Mark begins his gospel. This is the very first verse. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. A demon confronted by Jesus declares, we saw this two weeks ago, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. A centurion standing before the cross cries out, surely this man was the Son of God. John begins his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word means Christ. Word was God. Then he ends his gospel with these words. Last verse in his gospel. These are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the... Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Then the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore God exalted Him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord is... The name for God in the Greek New uh, Septuagint used 6,700 times. You wouldn't know the Old Testament if it wasn't for the Greeks writing the Old Testament into Greek. So when Christians, after Jesus' resurrection, many people became Christians and they saw all the prophecies about Jesus from the Old Testament and all Jesus' reference to the Old Testament. They wanted to read the Old Testament, but they couldn't read Hebrew. But there was the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint. And in that, 6,700 times, Jesus, uh, uh, 6,700 times God is referred to as Lord. And in the New Testament, Paul says, He is Lord. It's the New Testament writer's way of saying, that Jesus is God. 
Paul says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. He also writes, While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews declares, Your throne, talking about Jesus, O God, will last forever. The Apostle John tells us, And we are in Him who is true, Jesus, even His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And then the Apostle Paul penned what we believe is the church's earliest prayer, Come, Lord. Again, Lord was used as a name for God 6,700 times in the Old Testament. It's the New Testament writer saying, we believe Jesus is God. Is it possible that this was inserted 20, 30 years after Jesus died into the Gospels by the New Testament writers and Jesus never claimed to be God? I guess it's possible, but highly improbable. Even people that were enemies of Jesus admit that Jesus claimed to be God. The Pharisees object to his claim to forgive sins. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? On another occasion, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. We have God the Father, God the Son. Again, His Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone Him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works. You've seen me heal people. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. His enemies admit that He claims to be God. Three, Jesus' miracles support that He is God. Now, Jesus never did any miracle in order to prove that He was God. He didn't pick up a stone and turn it into bread and say, there, now you know. He didn't heal somebody and say, now, now you can see. But He did expect His miracles would be noticed. In Luke 4, Jesus cast out a demon from a deranged man and healed many people. In Luke 5, Jesus heals a man with leprosy and forgives and heals a paralyzed man. In Luke 7, He healed a centurion's servant and raised a widow's son from his casket. In Luke 8, He calms a storm on the Sea of Galilee and casts out many demons from a wild man in the Gerasenes. We looked at that two weeks ago. And He raised a dead girl. In Luke 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Then Jesus asked the disciples, who do you think I am? He expects that after they've seen all these miracles, they would come to faith. He asks you the same question today. After all the miracles I did and all the miracles I've done in your life, do you believe I'm the Son of God? For the resurrection demonstrates that Jesus is God. After Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter answers, God's Messiah, the Son of the living God. Notice what Jesus says. 
Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. Now, this is the most puzzling line Jesus ever spoke. He spent weeks, months, it's probably years at this point, showing them who he is. He's done all these miracles, and finally they get to the point where they say, You're the Son of God, you're the Messiah. You would think he would say, Good. Way to go. You got it. Now go out. Spread the word. Instead, he says, no, no, don't tell anybody. Why would he do that? He knew that everyone in Palestine was standing on tiptoe looking for the Messiah. If the disciples spread the word that the one the Old Testament had predicted was here, They would create a frenzy in Israel with everyone looking for him to redeem them, rescue them from Rome. Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. He was the Deliverer. But he had come to deliver them from a power far greater than Rome, from Satan, sin, and death. Jesus would accomplish his victory by suffering on the cross. After he told them not to tell anyone, he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Look at the verbs. He must suffer, be rejected, be killed, and be raised to life. The disciples who heard that, They had just learned that He was the Messiah, the Son of God. They'd come to believe that He was going to rescue them from Rome. All they would have heard in this statement is that He was going to be killed. Their hopes dashed. And so He commanded them to keep quiet about who He was until after the resurrection and they had a greater understanding that He would be a suffering deliverer. His resurrection would prove His divinity. Luke tells us, as the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign. So Jesus has done all these miracles, cast out demons, healed people, and they're still asking for a sign. Give us a sign so we know you're really the Messiah, the Son of God. But He answered, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of a whale three days and three nights. Jesus would be in the grave three days and three nights. He says, the only sign I'm going to give you is the resurrection. Five. The changed lives of followers of Christ suggest that Jesus is the Son of God. The followers of Jesus Christ had their lives so totally changed that the church exploded and spread around the world. Christians have served the world so selflessly that their influence is undeniable. A plague broke out in 3rd century Rome. It was so deadly that two-thirds of the people of Alexandria, which is the second largest city in the world, second to Rome, died. It was a plague that everybody was afraid of. You could kind of compare it to COVID. It was far worse per capita than COVID, but everybody was afraid of it and didn't want to get it. So they'd run from it. But Dionysius, Dionysius, how do I say his name? Dionysius, 
he wrote, he said, everybody would run from the, the plague, but not Christians. They would run toward it to heal the sick, to care for those who were struggling, even care for the dying, the, those who had died and get their bodies cleaned and ready for burial. They would carry them. Did they do this because they thought they were immune from the disease? Not at all. Many of them died from that very disease. Here's what he writes about them. Taking up the bodies of the saints on their arms and breasts, closing their eyes and shutting their mouths, bearing them on their shoulders and laying them out for burial, clinging to them, embracing them, washing them, decking them out, they not long after had the same services rendered for them. They died of the same disease because they cared for those who were dying. But the Gentiles, when he says Gentiles, he's not comparing Gentiles with Jews, as you typically might understand it, but Gentiles with Christians. In other words, non-believers behaved quite differently. Those who were beginning to fall sick, they thrust away. And their dearest they fled from, or cast them half dead into the roads. Unburied bodies they treated as vile refuge. Ancient Rome, medieval Europe, and early America didn't have a standard welfare system. If you lived in that time, your retirement was not your 401k. It was your children. That's why Jory and I have nine children. They're all setting something aside for us, don't you think? Your, insist, your insurance was not your business or the government. So the church stepped in. The church cared for the needy. The church started hospitals. often offered free of charge. People who don't know what they're talking about sometimes say Christians don't care. They're heartless. They assume, you know, our medical system, our, 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 our clinics, you know, they don't recognize that those were started by Christians caring for the sick and the dying. That's why we have hospitals named Emmanuel, Good Samaritan, St. Vincent, Providence. The roots came from the church. Why have Christians sacrificed themselves for the sick, orphans, widows, prisoners, homeless, and the poor? Because Jesus Christ, the resurrected Son of God, inspired us to do so. Who is Jesus Christ to you? It's the most profound question you will ever answer. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Isn't it time you told Him that you believe in Him and ask Him into your life? You can do that right now. Or if you've already committed your life to Him, tell Him again that you believe He's the Son of God and you want Him to be Lord of your life. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can call you Lord, the same name used for God the Father in the Old Testament, because you are the Son of God. And we state...
to you that we believe in you. If you've never given your life to Christ, invite him in right now. Tell him you believe he's the son of God. I invite all of you to pray for just a moment. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the Son of God. You are the Creator. And we put our faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray.